We are who we are because of our grandparents and we are their dreams manifested. We are their wildest dreams come true. I've seen that saying on a few shirts and a few tote bags, but that is what we live by. You know, Walt Good would not have come into our minds if our grandmother didn't tell us to walk good when we leave our house. So walk good is a Jamaican euphemism. It means to take care, you know, take care of yourself when you're out in the world. Uh, but most importantly, be good to yourself. And it's a healing affirmation that stuck in my mind all the time. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to The Glow Podcast. In this episode of The Glow Podcast, we welcome Ivory Jenkins as our guest host. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you'll remember Ivory from the interview she did with a fellow Glow teacher, Ketanya Henderson. Today, Ivory will introduce you to an activist family that has set the intention to bring yoga to more people, diversifying the audiences that yoga will reach. As Ivory will tell you in just a moment, the Walk Good LA team is on a mission to bring people together from all walks of life to fight for racial equity and heal and solidarity through the arts, through health and wellness. Ivory handles a deeper introduction of Walk Good LA, so I'll now turn over the microphone to her. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Globe Podcast with Ivory Jenkins and her interviewing the three founders of Walk Good LA. Welcome. I am Ivory Jenkins. Welcome to the Glow Podcast. I am so excited and really honored to be welcoming the guests that I have today. Today I have Walk Good LA. Walk Good is a family organization. It's a brother, a sister, and a cousin. They're a trio and their mission is bringing together, bringing people together from all walks of life to fight for racial equity and heal in solidarity through the arts, through health and wellness. Ebony Magazine wrote that you are a quote, total wellness movement for LA's black and brown community. Included in this movement is run good, hike good, breathe good, which is the yoga component. You Good, a healing and meditation circle for men of color, and most recently added Film Good, which is an independent film and television production company that aims to inspire, inform, entertain, and heal. I want to welcome Etienne, who is the CEO and founder of Walk Good, Ivy Coco, the vice president and creative director of apparel and miss marley ralph also known as namaste marley ray director of health and wellness welcome walk good la great introduction i might have rehearsed it a thousand times <laughs> Yes. Um, so good morning. It's MLK Day as we um, are, are not filming, but we're recording this. And I just think it's so apropos that I get to spend MLK Day interviewing you for the Glow po podcast. So thank you for being here. 
Thank, Thank you, for, you. Having Thank us. for having us. Jinx. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Etienne, can you please tell me the origin story of Walk Good LA? How, where, and under what circumstances were you founded? Yeah. Uh, well, Walk Good really started when I graduated college and I was really trying to figure out what was going to be my thing. And I saved up some money and I started my production company, Walk Good Productions. And I spent a lot of time, you know, shooting short films for people and, you know, doing music videos and directing live award shows. And after doing that for about four or five years after graduating, um, the Ahmaud Aubrey uh, killing happened. And I remember, uh, you know, COVID happened and watching on my phone and feel like feeling this uh, paralysis or not being able to move and, and feeling kind of just stuck and frustrated and angry. And we were in like this limbo stage of trying to figure out what are we going to do now? And then George Floyd happened and that was the fire that was lit under me to start mobilizing and, and organizing and bringing my family together and my community together to, to protest um, for these black lives in Los Angeles. And that was the start of Walk Good LA, which became the nonprofit arm to Walk Good Productions. And I remember when I had the idea of protesting, I made my flyer and it was originally called Walk Good, Run Good, Twice as Hard, you know, and the idea was having to fight twice as hard to be given half a chance. Uh, and that was a saying that really resonated with me. And then when we started the protest and I invited uh, Marley to come, I asked, I, I was like, yo, Marley, maybe do some, some yoga stretches, you know, before we go out there and protest, you know, just to get people centered. Mind you, I had, I just felt my, my, my feeling, my intuition was just to do that. And that was the light bulb that came off when I saw everybody in the park, you know, doing these yoga stretches, uh, centering themselves breathing collectively as a community. I was like, oh, this could be actually really beneficial, uh, you know, during this tense time that we're in. And uh, that next week, June 20th, the day after Juneteenth was our first Breathe Good session. And, uh, and that was the start of, of our movement. You know, we started saying, you know, we were chanting and taking the streets, Something that we would always say is this is not a moment, this is a movement. And and Walk Good LA has become a movement. So Marley, what were your expectations when Etienne asked you to teach that first class? Did you have any idea what exactly you were getting into? 
Well, it's funny because I had the idea of teaching community yoga classes after I was let go from Core Power because the pandemic happened and they shut down all of the studios. Uh, so there was all these yoga instructors that had nowhere to go. So a lot of people were teaching in the park or teaching on Zoom. Uh, but during the protest and, and the racial uprising when Etienne asked me to teach, I was like, yeah, like we are so aligned. We, yes, let's do this because, you know, our people, we've been fighting for so long. We really need spaces and places for us to heal. And when I showed up to the park that day, I wasn't expecting all those people. I'm gonna tell you right now, there was over 200 people in that park and I got cold feet. I went up to Etienne, I was like, so do you still wanna do this? Should we still do this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we still doing this? <laughs> so you started at LA High Memorial Park and this is located in mid-city Los Angeles. And I just wanna paint a picture for our listeners this is a park that I go to often with my son. And there was a Sunday where I took my son to the park. It wasn't your first Sunday. It was probably a few sessions in, a few Sundays in. And my mouth opened and my jaw dropped down to the grass that I was standing on because there were a sea of black and brown bodies doing yoga, mats, all over. It's a very large park. There's lots of grassy area. And there wasn't a spot left. And I remember calling um, my husband, Donnie, and I said, babe, there are mad black people at the park doing yoga. You have to see this. And he was like, what? So we came back a couple weeks later and it had multiplied. Even then, every week it continued to grow. And it was really uh, the most beautiful sight that I had seen that summer of 2020. How many yogis did show up to breathe good classes when you were at LA High Memorial Park at its at its peak? So it starts. So the very first breathe good had 37 people. I know that because I counted in the photo, the group photo that we took, and it started to grow. 37 turned into like in the 50s, turned into hundreds, turned into 200s. And we and kept moving to the, different parts of the park, like yeah. depending on how many people were there. We were like, okay, there's 37 people. We can fit into this little corner. And then there was 50 people. It's like, okay, we, we might want to move to the other side of the park. And then come January of 20, February, Black History Month of 2021, every single part of the park was full and we were teaching in the center. So it was us in the middle and then all of the yogis surrounding us. I think the most we've ever taught was 500 people in the park uh, at a time. So that was the most. And then on average now we get over a hundred. So maybe 200 um, on any given Sunday. And what was your philosophy? Did you ask permission to use this park or were you just asking for forgiveness? No, no, we did not. We did not ask for permission. This was a free open park. You know, it was during COVID. They weren't giving out permits, but we knew that we needed to hold this space for us. And we were out there for two years straight. 
until LA Parks and Rec was like, all right, you guys got to <laughs> wrap this up. Now. And this is uh, when you move to the state park, Kenneth Han, which is a huge, yes. I mean, it's a state park. So there are, mm -hmm. there's ponds and there's ducks and there's several different parks for kids. <laughs> and then there's this one big space where you now lead the yoga classes. Mm -hmm. And now on average, you said you're getting about 100 to 200 bodies every Sunday. Yeah, every Sunday. Um, you know, we want to make healing accessible and easy for black and brown bodies and you know the initial idea was let's use what we have and we knew that the park was in the middle of los angeles it was easy access for everyone our neighbors might be might have been upset with us because they couldn't. We might have blocked a few driveways, but it was okay. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we want to make sure that people can find us easily uh, and can participate. You know, we want to be that that bridge for for people to 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 heal. You know, we want people to be able to uh, be more mindful and be more self-aware through the practice of yoga, through the practice of hiking, through the, through the practice of self-care. Um, so that's always been our mission. It's going to continue to be our mission. And I'd just like to point out what an ecosystem you created there, because after so many months, there was a guy who would bring his coconuts and you could get fresh coconuts. There were people who were bringing their oils. There was someone who was selling, uh, beads for fertility. There was a whole ecosystem that was born out of what you created and all of these bodies. There were food trucks lining around the park. Yeah. It was impressive. It was beautiful. And all of LA thanks you for that. Um, I have a question. Why do you believe that Walk Good became so successful in such a short amount of time? And why are people still coming back? I think Walk Good LA, because we are a family, everything we do is so palpable. It, everything is so organic. We're not putting this on for show, especially being in the city of Los Angeles of Los Angeles, people are trying to find what is actually wholesome, what is real, what is relatable. And that's what Walt Good is. We create safe spaces for everybody. We are very intentional about the people that we um, represent, black and brown folks specifically, but everybody is welcome where we are. We create this space because we realize that we need to heal just as much as everybody else does. So this is just one of those things where we we never imagined it to have this magnitude. We never imagined it to have this impact on people's minds, hearts, and how they view themselves. It's now at that point where people are thanking us because they this is part of their church. This is their practice. This is their spiritual being of who they are. They come to walk good to reset, realign, and restart as they you know, start their new week, their new month, or their new intention that they have for themselves. We are redefining what healing looks like. And the fact that we're able to do it as a family has a different effect on how people receive it. Yeah, I think that's the most beautiful thing, too, is that we are who we are. 
because of our parents. We are who we are because of our grandparents. And we are their dreams manifested. We are their wildest dreams come true. I've seen that saying on a few shirts and a few tote bags, but that is what we live by. You know, Walt Good would not have come into our minds if our grandmother didn't tell us to walk good when we leave our house. So walk good is a Jamaican euphemism. It means to take care, you know, take care of yourself when you're out in the world. Uh, but most importantly, be good to yourself. And it's a healing affirmation that stuck in my mind all the time. And so it's very much... Uh, cyclical, like it's definitely, it's come full circle that we are now doing this as an homage to our Jamaican heritage and our Jamaican grandmother who would always remind us to walk good and that, pe that people feel uh, the family spirit. Uh, they feel the energy when any time they, they participate in a walk good activity. And I think that's why people continue to come back. Can you say it how your grandma would say it to you? Walk good. Walk good, Etienne. Walk good, Coco. Walk good, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Walk good has been approached for partnerships by several brands. Marley and Ivy, you were part of an exclusive campaign with Manduka where you paired up with Spiritual Gangster. It was beautiful, really well done. There was a season where I couldn't drive in Los Angeles without seeing all three of you on huge billboards for the On Running campaign. On Running is a, a sneaker brand that gained a huge following as a forward-thinking activewear brand. Ivy, Coco, how do you choose brands to work with without feeling like the corporations interested in you are merely jumping on the bandwagon of a social justice movement when we know that this is the same social justice movement that was so unpopular during the civil rights era. I think we're also living in that time where we don't want to be the black face for everything, right? Don't just collaborate us, be, collaborate with us just because we are people of color, specifically black people, and we're just coming out of and continuously going through racial uprisings. Um, so we want to make sure that when we partner with people, it is very intentional. We are not here to do things for short term. We are here for the long term. Yes, we understand that um, you, they are a business and we are a nonprofit business, but we are here to show up for the people, the people who feel like their voices have been unheard. So to have that weight on us and be able to represent those people, we need to carry that same energy into these corporations when we have our meetings. What does longevity really look like when you're working with a community organization? Are you being interactive in our activities? Um, are you actually supporting us, not just monetary, but are you making sure that your community as well is understanding what we bring to our community? And how do we make that exposure double? How do we make that exposure triple? And how do we just keep that same intention through each activation? I think it's really hard because I think I think the Golden Globes just passed, right? And I think this was a great um, example of 
Gerard Carmichael, he talked about one minute you're you're drinking tea and the next minute you're the you're the black face for an organization who who literally had nobody on their organization that was a person of color, period. So we also look at that, you know, when we're collaborating with people, what diversity do you have on your team? Because that's important. You can't just reach out to us and you actually have no sense of diversity inclusion in your organization. That's so that's what we really look for when we do these brand partnerships. And you're referring to Gerard Carmichael, who hosted the Golden Globes this year, and this was part of his uh, opening speech. Correct. Which was funny, but poignant. And very true. Yes. Um, so I want to shift to the intersection of yoga and social justice, which I think is the corner where Walk Good lives. There's a huge building that's Walk Good right at that corner, at that intersection. Um, and there can be this misconception that yoga and social justice are mutually exclusive. They cannot both happen at the same time. And while I don't think anyone here agrees with that, I myself can be guilty of thinking that in order to find enlightenment, I have to go to a mountaintop, I have to retreat from the world in order to meditate, things need to be quiet and serene. And what you have done with Walk Good is show us that we can march first and heal thereafter. So in your opinion, how are yoga and social justice complementary as opposed to the misconception that they are uh, mutually exclusive? And any one of you can, can jump in on this. Wow, I think that's such a beautiful question. And a lot of the people that we get at Walk Good have said that this was their first experience trying yoga. Um, a lot, most of the people who participate with us are Black or of um, some kind of race, like mixed race, brown descent. Um, and a lot of people have told me that they've been very intimidated to try yoga, to try the practice, because what we see when we think of yoga, what we see in the media, what we see on Instagram, and all the stories we've heard about yoga is that it's really primarily for skinny white women, uh, soccer moms, you know, people who have ample leisure time that can go and take a yoga class and spend $300 a month on outfits and memberships. And a lot of people think that it's a religion as well. Um, and, you know, just to be straight up, a lot of black people think that it's just not for them, that it wasn't meant for them, uh, which is really disheartening because yoga is a practice that comes from black and brown people. Um, the root word of yoga in Sanskrit is yuj, meaning to yoke or to unite, meaning that everything around us, the trees, the, the earth, the grass, people, no matter what color you are, it means that we're all one and we find that oneness from breath to movement within our practice. And that's just not something that has been um, reminded of for a very long time within modern Western yoga. So when it comes to that intersection between yoga and social justice, it's really using a practice that's been healing for so long, for centuries, way before we can even think about, um, and using it to say, hey, we deserve this practice too. To say, we deserve healing just as much as the next person. If anything, we deserve it the most in America, 
um, there's something called spiritual bypassing that happens within a lot of yoga classes. And it's that preconceived notion that we are all happy and light and the sun is shining and there's nothing to worry about. But the thing about yoga is that it's used to relieve suffering. That's why we meditate. That's why we do yoga. And if we're not talking about the things that are causing us pain and suffering, then we're not using this healing practice to its fullest potential. I think if we're able to all come together and have these tools and say, hey, you are, you are valuable enough to heal and to get better, we can all think clearer. We can all be kinder to ourselves, to the earth, to the people around us. Um, and in return, we can all find a solution or a resolution to social justice issues. Beautifully put. Marley, you are a wonderful teacher. I think anyone who just listened to that explanation of yoga and social justice and spiritual bypassing would probably say to themselves, I want to take her class. <laughs> um, you are teaching these festival type classes for hundreds of yogis. And like you said, many of them are first timers. Were you nervous stepping into this role as leader and teacher? And did you always have such a clear and strong voice? Or is it something that you've developed along this journey? Well, I was introduced to yoga through Africa. I started practicing yoga when I studied abroad in South Africa. And um, I was really homesick. It was my first time being away for so long. And one of my friends was on the floor in happy baby pose. And I thought he looked crazy. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, his feet were all <laughs> up in the air. And I was like, what's going on? And he was like, I'm doing yoga. You should try it. And so I tried it. And it's completely shaped um, the trajectory of my trip. I was able to be more present. And I just felt a lot more calm within myself. And then when I got back to the States, uh, the first class that I took, the first like formal yoga class I took was also by an African man by the name of Timmy Tope. And I loved everything of his class, about his class, uh, from the music and the soul, the cadence of his voice, the yoga class, the dim lighting, everything. It felt like poetry flowing in and out of my body. And I was like, wow, this is really um an important and unique experience. And as I continued to broaden my horizons of taking yoga classes, I realized that not all yoga classes look like Africa. <laughs> and um, <laughs> there was so many times where I would be in a class and I'd look around, I'm like, what the heck happened? Because I would be the only person of color within that space. And so I remember how I felt practicing in Africa. I remember how I felt practicing with Timmy Tope. And I wanted other people to feel that same way and to be able to experience that soul and experience um, being in somebody's class who did look like them. So when I started teaching and majority of my students uh, were white, I, I always just stay true to myself. I always played like neo soul. I always played jazz. I'd even throw in some Kendrick Lamar. I would throw in some Afro beats. I always stayed true to, to the vibrations that I was feeling. And I knew that when that one black person would trickle in, they would feel seen and they would be introduced to yoga in a way that made them want to come back. 
Um, so I think that it's just super important. And honestly, I'm on a rant right now and I forgot the question. <laughs> you, you've answered it. It's how you've stayed true to your voice and cultivating yeah. your voice. And yeah. So really through music um, is one way that I've been able to stay true through my voice. And then coming out to Walk Good, that was a whole different uh, realm. I remember I was nervous that first day because I was like, I've never taught this many people before. Most, you know, when you're in a yoga studio, teaching in a yoga studio, the max you can have is like 30 people. And that's a big class in a yoga studio. Um, so to teach in front of 200 people, yes, I was definitely nervous. But I truly feel like... God has anointed me to do this work. And so as soon as I got over those nerves, I just kind of took over. And I was just like, okay, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with exactly who I'm supposed to be doing it with. And now I never get nervous. Now it's just fun. I have a lot of fun. And I think, I can't quite remember how we met Marley, but I think I came to one of the Walk Good events and then you were, we did a, I was training teachers for a, a studio that I was working at. Yeah, I don't remember. How did that happen? Do you okay. remember? So my manager from Core Power, her name is Molly, and she's amazing. Um, right. We stayed in touch after everything closed down. And she was like, hey, I'm doing this, this yoga um, teacher training. And it's like in the middle of the pandemic and nobody was doing yoga teacher training and I needed something to do. So she was like, hit up this woman. She's super cool. And it was Ivory. And I actually, when I was looking at, looking for this link in my email, I saw our very first email and I said, <laughs> I said, referred to by Molly. <laughs> and that was the first time um, that we met because I came to the training. And I think I only did one day of the training. I didn't complete the whole thing. Um, but I think the purpose of me coming to that one day of training was to meet you. And now here we are almost three years later. Yeah, and it was very clear when I saw you teach for Walk Good that um, there were other plans for you. Thank you. That you, it, it was, there was no hard feelings that you didn't come back for the rest of the training. <laughs> it was like, this is not where she is supposed to be. She's supposed to be somewhere Thank else. So, um, Etienne, you recently completed your 200 hour yoga teacher training. Yeah, it's been a year, a whole year. And you did that training at The Tree, which is a yoga collective that's located in South Central yeah. Los Angeles. And um, they're a wonderful studio. Their mission is specifically to provide greater access of these places of uh, health and wellness to black and brown communities. What inspired you to do your teacher training? Because you didn't have to do a teacher training for Walk Good, Breathe Good. You have Marley. You have plenty of yoga teachers in Los Angeles who would at the drop of a dime come and teach for you, myself included. Um, and then you've got so much going on with film and television. So what was it just you were bored in, in COVID or? No, I think, I think it was something that I needed to do. I, th I thought to myself really hard about just the space and the platform that we hold as Walk Good LA. And if I am the CEO and founder, I thought it was important that I have to dive all the way in and, and learn more about this practice and 
and I wanted our community to to trust me in that I took it seriously. You know, I was not a yogi coming into this. I was, you know, I thought I was going to sell a few TV shows and, you know, be an actor and a filmmaker and, you know, an influencer. <laughs> but um, yoga has given me more meaning, you know, for life. I think it has helped me become a better brother, a better cousin, a better human being. Uh, yoga has really changed my life. And, you know, I go to a few classes here and there when Marley was getting her teacher training, I, I'd, I'd show up to her studio, you know, Marley and I, we even took a, a few yoga classes together. And that was like our bond. And I didn't take it seriously until we started Breathe Good. You know, even when we had the first class, I didn't participate in the first class. I was just setting up sound. You know, to be honest, I was like a little bit upset that more people were coming to the yoga classes and the protests. (laughs) (laughs) But then I realized, I was like, oh, wait, this is what's working. You know, people were more attracted to the peace and the restoration then they were taking the streets and it was just as, or if not more important to them. And that's when I started to participate more and I started to dive in and, and learn. And after a year of doing Breathe Good, I was like, I just felt like it was like my calling. I was like, I got to, I got to teach. And I thought it was even more important for me to show up in this space as a black man uh, so that people knew that I was taking it seriously. And so that I can be a vessel for other black men to, you know, participate in, in healing modalities. Uh, and I think it was dope that I did it the way I did it because it took a lot of pressure off of the fact that, Oh my God, I'm an instructor. Now it, it, I made yoga more relatable because I was showing up as myself and I continue to show up as my as myself just like Marley with her music and and her approach you know we always remind people that yoga is your practice and that's the misconception about yoga is that people think it's it's just one thing when it's so many different things it's just how you receive it um, and what makes you feel in power and what makes you feel good about yourself because that's what self-care is all about Um, and to be able to bring people together through this practice uh, just like ivy said earlier like we are revolutionizing what healing looks like in modern times and and that's very very important because if we're not restoring ourselves we're not healing ourselves we're no good to anybody And I think that's the fuel that keeps us going is the fact that we are providing a community that people can accept this is what it looks like. So I said that to myself this morning, Etienne, that (laughs) I need to put myself first. I was about to choke out my little five-year-old boy who was driving me crazy And I had to pause and take a moment and do a two minute yoga session uh, with myself. So yes, it is very important, especially in the way we show up for other people. A hundred percent. 
I once heard someone say that tough experiences bring awareness of the soul to the personality. And I thought it was a really beautiful way of reframing pain and difficulty. And I want to use this as a segue uh, to you, Etienne, and your very painful experience with gun violence. You came close to death. Nine years ago, you were shot three times through your leg, your thigh, and there was a final bullet that grazed your forehead. And you've got mm -hmm. scars that you still carry today. This was at a party just before your college graduation uh, in the city of brotherly love, as irony would have it. You had a full recovery. Etienne, how did this experience lead you to this moment now? Do you believe that that day and Walk Good are related? Oh, 100%. You know, even to piggyback off of your quote, Edgar Allan Poe, he, he once said, never to suffer would never to have been blessed. And I fully believe that because if I didn't go through what I went through, I don't think I would be as passionate about health and wellness for our community. Um, and when I look back at the incident and when I was shot, I think about what was the cause of that. You know, yes, I was robbed by a father and a son in a place that I was in a neighborhood that I was unfamiliar with. But what was the root of me even being in, in place in that position? And really, it was drugs and alcohol, because I personally believe I would not have been put in that situation if I didn't smoke or drink that night, because I would have been present, I would have been aware, I would have known that I should not be here, <laughs> you know, um, because even 11 months prior to that, you know, I was placed in a 5150 uh, where I was placed on a psychiatric hold for 72 hours here in California um, because uh, it, I was of harm to myself uh, and maybe to others because of my mental condition. So when we talk about mental health, you know, I know what that looks like because I had to go through it uh, and I had to be inst institutionalized. Uh, because of it. And because that happened 11 months prior to me getting shot, I had a DUI, you know, and that was the cause of that. And, I, and now, again, going back to the cause of how that happened is because, and I thought about recently too, it kind of just dawned on me that I was suffering the loss of my grandfather at that exact same time. And I haven't talked about this because I always talk about what happened, but I haven't really gotten down and haven't had the conversation of what caused that. And that was, I was just running away from the pain and the frustration of losing the first person that meant so much to me, you know, that, that was traumatic and not being able to cope 
with losing uh, a grandparent and and tragically too through cancer and seeing him you know start to you know get more and more sick had a tremendous effect on me and i was i was suffering in silence and i think that just started to that with with habits from high school just started to catch up with me and you know the not you would you would suspect like a DUI and driving your car into a tree would would stop a person but it didn't i continued that, those bad habits and and then i got shot <laughs> and i was robbed but uh and that was the wake up call for me and that was like all right i'm not going to smoke i'm not going to drink and but i say all that to say is you know what good has become an anchor for people uh, who might be suffering in silence, just like I was when I was battling uh, my mental health. And so I would hate for another young Black man to have to suffer and not have the community that I didn't have back then. But now I can, you know, sit here before you and, and talk about these experiences without shame and somebody might hear this and be like wow maybe i can try this and maybe i don't have to feel ashamed uh, about what i went through uh, but that it takes work this is 10 this is now 10 years of of work and reflection and learning about myself to get to this point so that i can learn how to walk good Ivy Coco, you are Etienne's sister. What was this experience like for you? How did you remember it? Um, I remember. I remember Etienne calling me, and I was leaving my retail job at Victoria's Secret, and I was walking around the mall, and I got a phone call, and Etienne told me that he got shot, and first thing he said was don't tell mom and the first thing I did was tell my mother and it was the best choice I made even though I went against our brotherly sisterly pack um I left school I actually dropped out of school I finished the semester virtually and I went back to school to take my finals um the last week but I pretty much knew I had to be with Etienne I think maybe 48 hours later, I had gone and taken the bus from Syracuse, New York to Philadelphia and was by his side every single day. I was trying to finish up school, catch up on work on my laptop while also helping him with rehabilitation, um, ha you know, walking him to his classes to actually learn how to walk again. Like, I think that's one thing that will forever keep Etienne and I bonded. And I say that because when he asked me, and basically he gave Marley and I these positions. He, he, we didn't really ask us. He told us what we were going to be doing when it came <laughs> down to walk at LA. But I truly believe that it was so easy for me to say yes, not only because I'm his sister, it's because he's a good leader. He set such an incredible foundation for me and Marley to follow. So I remember Etienne having to work himself back to life and me being by his side. So anytime I do what I do, 
I take so much pride being his little sister and being by his side. So there's, it's easy for me. I, though that memory was hard, but to see where we are now, it's, it's, it's like he needed to go through all of that to be where we are today. Wow. I'm over here crying. That's gracious. Me too. And I'm, <laughs> I've always been very moved by your relationship, the two of you, especially because I have a son who's five and a daughter who's 10 months. And when I see the bond that the two of you have, I hope that my son and daughter have that same bond. It's really beautiful to see and moving and just move me to tears right here. I, I want to say, I think one thing that stuck, and thank you for that, Coco, that I love you and I appreciate your words. That means a lot. Love you too. Um, I remember our parents always telling us that when they're gone, all we're going to have is each other. And that really stuck with us. It still sticks with me to this day because I know that is very true, is that when our parents are gone, all I'm going to have is, is my sister and, and, and knock on wood, I'll have my own family. But family is all you have. You know, those are the basic principles in which we stand on. And because you are family there and you are blood, there's an opportunity for you to work things out, regardless of what you guys have gone through in the past. And I'm speaking to anyone who is going through, through trials and tribulations with their own family. You know, there's a legacy that you have to uphold. And like I said earlier, we are that legacy. And, and, you know, I'll drop anything that I'm doing <laughs> to be there for, for Ivy and, and Marley. And um, I just think that's just who we are as, as people. Okay, now y'all got me crying. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of family, there's no way that I could do this interview without talking about your mother uh, and Marley, your aunt, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Cheryl Lee Ralph is having such a beautiful season where uh, she is being celebrated for her work. For our audience, if you don't know who she is, she recently won an Emmy in 2022 for her performance on ABC's Abbott Elementary. But she's by no means new to Hollywood. She has performed alongside Sidney Poitier as a young actress. She starred in the original Broadway cast of Dreamgirls as Dina Jones, in which she was nominated for a Tony, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Mm -hmm. She played the singer Brandy's stepmother on the sitcom Moesha as well as one of my favorite, it's really small, but it was just one of my favorite performances as Lauren Hill's mother in the movie Sister Act, where she said, mm. what did she say? She had that shoulda, coulda, woulda. Uh, Singing does not <laughs> put food on the table. Singing, Singing there's a whole lot of people out there. Singing their shoulda, coulda, wouldas. <laughs> exactly. She is the mother that I think is, is the archetype of the black mother for those of us who grew up in the black community, the mother who is strong, who's firm, who doesn't take any BS, 
but who is so loving and would drop anything for you. Um, what was it like growing up with her as your mother? And also, what was it like growing up as children of Hollywood? So, so I have always been inspired by my mother. Um, but I also recognize at a very early age that my mother is my mother and is she's not my friend. <laughs> she's the woman who, who pays the bills and I have to do what she says. Now, did I do everything she said? No, <laughs> but that's because I was the young rebellious son that I was. Um, but like you said, my mom has done everything in her power to make sure that myself and Coco lived a happy, healthy, uh, loving uh, upbringing. Um, and she did everything she could to make sure that we were okay, by literally by any means necessary. Um, and so I just think it's just different, the fact that she's an actress um, but you know, she has had to put us through school, um, you know, and she had to travel a lot to do speaking engagements, uh, to pay for school, to, for us to just to live. Um, but I think she, she's the best mom in the world to me simply because she always gave us the opportunity to be ourselves you know, and always reminded us that life comes with choices and there are always going to be consequences and blessings for those choices um, and always to do your best. I would like to play a clip from the 2022 Emmys, and this is on Ivy Coco's Instagram of her and Etienne in the the bleachers of the um what what theater was it at of the theater and they are screaming at the top of their lungs in jubilee that their mother had just won um the emmy so i'm gonna play this right now because it's it's just so endearing and um always brings a a big smile to my face What our, what you can't see if you're listening is um, Ivy Coco's holding the phone and it's bouncing up and down because she's jumping up and down and you see Etienne's shoulder and a little bit of his tux coming in and out and they're both just bouncing up and down and they are extremely, extremely happy. Ivy Coco, your maternal grandmother is Ivy Ralph, who you are named after, obviously. And she was a fashion designer. And actually, I, as I was uh, researching for this interview, she, I found out she invented what's called the Kariba. Yes. 
which was it's fascinating because so the kariba is a replacement of the traditional European uh, style suit. And she, what she did was ditch the shirt and tie. And she designed a formal version of basically something that looks like a safari jacket. Correct. The fabric was much lighter to make it more comfortable because she's looking at all of these men who have to um, go to these formal occasions, basically sweating with these formal suits on. So the fabric was lighter. She makes it much more comfortable in the tropical climate. Um, yet it's still dressy enough if you need it to go to uh, parliament or whatever formal occasion it was. But really, what was most important is that it was a visual symbol of decolonization that changed men's dress throughout the, the island and many other islands. You yourself, you are a model, you are a designer, you are a stylist. Um, and an all-around fashion enthusiast. How do you see your grandmother as an influential presence in your fashion career? Well, I've always been into fashion because Etienne and I grew up spending our summers in Jamaica. Probably our first time back to Jamaica was like a month or two months after we were born. And so when I would spend this time with my grandmother, she would always wake up at 5.30 a.m. and start cutting in the cutting room. And I would wake up about 30 minutes after and I would sit and watch. I would watch my grandmother cut. I would watch my grandmother sew. And I was taking notes. And she would always tell me, Coco, go on your bed, go on your bed. You know, like get some rest, you know, like, but I was so infatuated by what she was able to create with her two hands. And I knew that that as I got older, I always had a passion for fashion. It was the fact that she would have remnants on the floor and I would pick them up and she would test me and be like, well, what type of fabric are you holding? What can you create with this piece of fabric? And sometimes it was like little foods, little pretend foods, and she would like pretend to eat them. So she always, she always reinforced my ability for creativity. So as I got older, I went to school for retail management. Um, I stand, ended up starting a fashion blog and traveling the world. And I just remember when Etienne told me, how are we going to really monetize Walk Good LA? It was us, he and I creating shirts together. Like we had to come up with designs. And I remember I was sitting outside and I was chilling. And Etienne said, well, what should be on the first shirt? And I was like, no justice, no peace. And it was K-N-O-W, no justice, and then no peace and O. And his design ability, we were able to like put my words and designs into his visual designs. And the money that we were making from those t-shirts ended up supporting the families that were affected by, you know, police brutality and police violence. So it was amazing that our art and my fashion ability was, had the power to give back to people. And I just knew that after Walk Good, we had to create Walk Good Wear. I was like, this moment has to be felt on, on the skin. It has to be worn. And I also just think back to what you were just saying about my mom and me being her stylist. I think like my grandmother, her last words to me were, 
and this is when I was just doing her hair and she was slowly drifting. And she said, if you could just do me a favor and take care of your mother while I'm gone. And it really shifted my perspective on how I feel about fashion and why I style my mom, because I don't think that this is just something I'm doing for fun. This is something I'm doing to uphold my grandmother's legacy. Um, this is something that's ingrained into me. And every time I, I look at a creation or I, I look at a final look, I know that my grandmother's prayers are still protecting me. I know that her prayers are still guiding me because I feel so affirmed and knowing that I am Ivy, Ivy Jr. in a sense, I know they don't say that for girls. It, it just makes everything I do so much better because she's not gone. She's, I carry her with me in everything that I do. Ivy, what you dressed your mom in for the Critics' Choice Awards, this sublime gold. Thank you. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just fantastic for our listeners. If you go to Ivy Coco 23 on Instagram, you can see the vision that she has for her mother and everything fits your mother like a glove and your mother looks like she is so comfortable in her skin. And I think for any woman, or man, you understand what it's like when you're comfortable in what you're wearing and the confidence that it allows you to move into any space you're in. So shout out to you, Ivy Coco. Cause Thank you. I she appreciate looks fantastic. That. Thank you. And I just started styling Etienne too. So I'm, I'm tapping into the men's side, just like my grandmother. I got the most compliments I've ever gotten wearing an outfit that Coco chose. So yes, she's my stylist. <laughs> and I think she's been, I think she's been styling you for a bit. I remember when we went into, we were shopping together and <laughs> this was, um, there was another brand who was interested in walk good. And so they gave us, you know, the keys to the store for a little bit mm. and we were shopping and he's, he's like, Ivy, Ivy, what is this? What do you think about this? And yes. he tried on a couple of things and everything had to go through, um, Ivy Coco yes, to make everything sure everything goes through. It was through on Coco point. Michelle. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. I always, I'm always sending Coco photos of, of me in the changing room at Zara if, if I need to. Get... <laughs> Ivy Coco, I have something that I'm going to be, a, a picture I'm going to be sending you to because I'm really trying to make this outfit work and it's just <laughs> not and it just needs a little something. So Let me know. I got you, girl. <laughs> you are all babies. Marley, you just celebrated your 24th birthday? Twenty six. Oh, 26. You're old. Jeez. <laughs> Ivy Coco, how old are you? I just celebrated my 28th birthday. 28th? Etienne, yes. have you made 30 yet? I am 31. I just turned 31. 31. You are what Miss Nina Simone was referring to when she sang that song, Young, Gifted, and Black. To be young, gifted, gifted and black. And black. <laughs> do you feel that you are on your path oh, each of you a hundred percent 
I am one million percent. <laughs> I am walking good everywhere I go. I know that this is my path. I know this is my journey. And I stand firm and stand tall in that. And I encourage others to do the same. And to not and give yourself grace and and be kind to yourself. And if you don't have it figured out just yet, know that you will, because that is what faith, that is what faith is all about. You know, Martin Luther King said, you know, having faith is being able to take those flight of stairs and not know how many stairs there are. And just know that you just got to take it step by step. He didn't say those words verbatim, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. Taking some liberties <laughs> with Dr. Those King's. Lines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, have faith and hold on. It's not going to come easy. I'll, I'll, I want to say this: when I think about walk good, I think about the things that we cannot ever live without on our path, whatever your path might be. That is one is pain, two, uncertainty, and three, hard work. We can't avoid those things at all. And to be able to acknowledge that you can't avoid those things and you're given those tools to work through those things, you're going to be okay. Pain, uncertainty, and hard work. And those are the things that in the beginning we try so hard to, to avoid. avoid. That's the truth. And I was watching this documentary with uh, Stutz. You got to watch it. It's, with, it's Jonah Hill. He just came out this documentary on Netflix. He's talking with his therapist and they, ha and they have these really tangible uh, techniques and tools to use to maintain your mental health. And he says in the documentary, whenever you're feeling lost or you're feeling frustrated, know that you can always work on your life force. And your life force is the foundation. Think of your life as a pyramid. The foundation is your body, working on your body, eating healthy, you know, working on your diet. That's just the foundation is just working on your physical. Then that second tier in that pyramid is your relationships to people. You know, how you maintain those relationships. How do you build those relationships? How do you foster those relationships with the people that are in your life? And then the top is yourself, your, your spirit, your subconscious, and work on your subconscious by just writing things down, journaling every single day. And you realize that there's so, that your mind has so much to offer that you never even thought you could. And if you just work on those three things, you're going to be okay. And so that's what I'm working on. So I encourage others to do the same. What lies on the road ahead for Walk Good? this year, next five years, next 10 years, what is uh, each of your visions for Walk Good? Marley, I'll start with you. Um, let's see. The future for Walk Good this year in particular, uh, we are continuing our sponsor sponsorship with On Running, which we're really excited about. 
Um, we also have Women's History Month coming up shortly. So Ivy and I will be rolling out Walk Good Gal and we'll have different uh, women's, um, what's the word I should say? Activations. Yeah. We'll have different women's activations every weekend. Experiences. Experiences. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, so this year we're rolling out Walk Good Gal, which is uh, for women uh, in the month of March, celebrating International Women's History Month. Uh, we'll have different experiences every weekend. I'm really excited about that. Uh, and really, every day we work towards having our own space, having our own hub. So I really feel good about this year, uh, maybe being our last year in the park. I don't know, but I'm manifesting it and we'll see what happens. I believe that Walker LA is going to have more billboards than what you saw driving down in Los <laughs> Angeles. So I'm very excited about that, but more expansion as well. We have a little bit um, you know, we have a, lo a lot of activations that we're all passionate about. Um, so we want to be able to maximize those experiences, but also creating healthy partnerships with different brands as well. So outside of the active wear, what does that look like? You know, having a sponsorship for film good, having a sponsorship for height good, um, different uh, sponsorships for sure. And I'm very excited because I want us to have our own hub. Like I truly believe that we are going to have a uh, walk good space our, 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 where people are able to create their own productions. Marley can teach her class. Maybe I can teach a style class. Etienne can teach somebody how to film um, a short film or a movie where we're able to also do everything through yoga, but also through the arts in an actual physical space. So that's what I'm manifesting. Yeah. And I think to take it a step further, um, I want to teach Black people. I want to continue to teach people of color how to build their own communities. Mm -hmm. I think that is the root of why we're all here is because of a community that we've built together as a family. Um, and now that we're navigating in a digital world, uh, how wonderful would it be for Walk Good to pass along what we've learned in the last two and a half years, um, building a community, but through a digital landscape. Um, so that's my goal with having a center, with having a space. Uh, I think it's going to happen very soon. We're going to have Walk Good Studios, where we'll be a co-working, collaborative multi-purpose use center where where people can teach different healing modalities and hold classes and also create content and produce content i'm looking forward to building film good the first film and wellness festival ever um and continuing to bridge that gap between wellness and entertainment and revolutionize the industry and creating safe environments where creators feel empowered and feel well while creating art. Um, and then most importantly, I want to continue to offer 
all the experience, all the good experiences that we've been offering. And I want to continue to expand and build and create a good community. If any of our listeners vibe with that and want to support this journey towards everything you each just named, how can they support walkgoodla.org we have our new website which is being released in february uh, so if you want to find out all things walk good you can follow us at walk good la and you can also go to our website to find out when we'll be coming to a city near you in the summertime uh, and yeah, just keep on the lookout with everything that we have going on. Cause it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time for us. Uh, and you're going to see us a lot more very, very soon. Full disclosure. I am a board member uh, of <laughs> Walk Good LA. So yes, this you are. Is we'll time. see you tonight at eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For the board meeting, I will be there. Uh, but this is just my moment to let our listeners know that this is, a, a 501c3, so they are a non-for-profit organization. And if there is, um, like I said, if there's something that resonated with you with Walk Good LA, then I encourage you to donate your time, your money to them. They've got really uh, wonderful uh, paraphernalia with Walk Good. The Roots and Culture sweatshirts are my favorite Um so you can support that way as well. And then also look really good while you do it. Um, Walk Good LA, at Walk Good LA is the Instagram. Everything is on there. There's a donate button in the link tree. At Walk Good Etienne, if you want to follow Etienne, uh, at Namaste Marley Ray, who just released uh, her website with videos and a subscription service if you um, want to take her classes and you don't live in Los Angeles then she's available to you and at Ivy Coco 23 if um, you need styling assistance for your next big uh, event she is there for you but her price probably just went up after that gold <laughs> number so you might have to get your coins together <laughs> I would like to thank each of you, Etienne, Ivy Coco, Marley, for taking the time. It was my absolute pleasure speaking with you this afternoon. And um, I just want to thank you all for what you're doing in our community and keep on. Thank you. Thank you, thank Ivory. You thank you, Ivory. And great job hosting your first podcast. Thank you all. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you.
Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills. Mm-hmm.